0: we have and we return that praise Lord in song and and in worship and adoration I pray God that we would continue to focus on you the living God you are the purpose for us coming together you are the purpose for getting up every morning you give us our first breath in the morning and our last breath at night and I just pray God that we will acknowledge that you are life and we praise you for that. We pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to transform us like into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We've been in contact with you in your presence as we've praised you. And now we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll take the living word, the word of God, that nothing in me would get in the way of what you want to say to us today, but they, you would change our lives and we thank you in jesus name amen please be seated how to thank our children for leading us in worship today let's let's thank them shall we yes that will happen probably more often as we do that so Uh, It's awesome to see. God's doing a great work in our kids. And I know that uh, uh, the Vollendorfs and Vernon Nancy Olson and those that work with our kids are doing great anointed work as they disciple them. Every every Sunday morning and other times during the week. And so uh, we're very grateful for what God is doing uh, um, in our children's ministry, in our student ministries as well. How many of you, as you look back over your life, can recall the most frightening experience you ever had? Just think for a moment. Okay, I see hands raised. Most frightening experience. Okay, we don't have time to share them all today, but maybe it was a near miss in an automobile, a plane ride through turbulence. It might have been a war experience. Maybe it's the time you were picked up by the police. We're not going to ask you about that. Maybe it was sleeping through your alarm and realizing today is your final in math. One of the most frightening experiences happened to me when I was age five. My parents were missionaries in Japan where we were living at the time and I remember clearly because my two older brothers had just left home to go to boarding school and I had just dropped out of Japanese kindergarten. That's another story. There was this dog. How many of you, your frightening experience had to do with a dog? Okay, I'm not alone. Thank you. Okay. There was a dog that lived down the street from us. And this was no ordinary dog. He was a championship fighting dog who, according to reports, was the reigning champion in all of northern Japan. This is back when dog fights were legal and back in Japan. This was a few years ago. This dog was big and ugly and mean looking. He had this bulldog-like face, very tough and menacing. We had a, an Akita Husky that was part of our, it was a Husky dog that it was pretty big and pretty courageous that was part of our family back then, but, uh, and he was our pet. But this dog had attacked our dog twice and both times bit off part of his ears. It was just, it was, it was a vicious dog. Most of the time this dog was kept chained in the backyard down the street behind a locked gate. And the bottom of the gate was about 12 inches from the ground. And we, my two older brothers and I, being the good missionaries we were, attempted to build relationships with the Japanese by teasing their dog. Boys, You know, it was great fun to torment this monster as long as he was chained up. We loved watching him run at us with a full head of steam and getting to the end of his chain and, you know, oh, that was so much fun watching that happen. Well, this particular day, I was all alone. Playing, I was standing in the middle street, just, just hanging out. And as I looked down the street, I suddenly got that sensation that someone was behind me. Then I heard this low low rumble. It was a growl. Curious, I spun around and found myself nose to nose with this monster dog. Interestingly, he was sitting down growling at me. I was, he was big, I was small. I was so close I could feel his breath on my face. I could smell his dog breath. I could see his nostrils moving wider as he sniffed his next meal, i was Sure. I could see his two lower teeth protruding like fangs and saliva dripping down as if he could already taste me. I could see the sleepies in his eyes. It occurred to me he forgot to wash his face that morning. Nose to nose, we were. And I knew, I knew he recognized me. There were only three blonde Norwegians in all of northern Japan at the time, and I was one of them. Now put yourself in the dog's place. When's the last time you were nose to nose with a five-year-old and he screamed at the top of his lungs? Somewhere between the beginning and end of my scream, I found myself perched at the top of a six-foot wall. I don't know how I got there. Somehow got up there. And when I turned around, the dog was gone. Now I, I believe I'm alive today because God created dogs with sensitive hearing. And my mother, since it's Mother's Day, my mother was a block away, and she heard and recognized my scream and came running. And, of course, mothers know the screams and voices of their children, and she did. And by the time she got there, I was fine. Well, it took owning two dogs and having a paper route for two years dealing with dogs for me to overcome my fear of dogs. So what was your most frightening experience? Or what was the biggest obstacle you've ever faced? Maybe you're facing a frightening circumstance today, a a monster wondering, what can you do? How can you get through this particular situation? When faced with a monster, a big obstacle, a scary situation, we sometimes ask, what is God doing? Where is God? Is there a God, and if so, does he even care? Well, we all face scary challenges in our life. Called it the big, the big. We all face the big, circumstances that are bigger than us, bigger than our ability to encounter, to deal with. The big one, the heart attack. The big E, the mother of all earthquakes. The big D, divorce. The big C, cancer. The big B, bankruptcy. The big, a lot of bigs. Obstacles too big for us to handle on our own. How do we deal with the big in our lives? We can't just scream, run away, and jump on a fence. Well, today, we're going to look at how one man dealt with the big. The big. He was an ancient Israelite named Caleb. We're going to continue on our series in Joshua today. His name was Caleb, and we're going to look at the big. Four keys to winning over the big in our lives. We're going to turn and read from Joshua 14. Joshua 14, it's on page 180 in the Uh, Bible in the rack in front of you if you want to follow along there or you can look at the PowerPoint. Joshua 14, starting with verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard them that the Anakites were there, the giants, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And then on verse 14 of the next chapter, from Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Seshai, Iman, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. Caleb was an ancient Israelite, not because he was 85 years old, okay, just to clarify, but because he lived in the time of history when Israel was conquering Canaan, the area known today as Palestine. Forty-five years earlier, Caleb had been promised the land as an inheritance. Last Sunday, we talked about the importance of inheritance, not only for them and the importance of land then, but what inheritance means to us today. Inheritance. Land was the lifeblood for people. It was a largely agrarian culture, and the economy of Israel was based on the land and its ability to support the people economically. There was only one problem with Caleb's promised land. Someone else had the land. Hmm. Little problem. And not just anyone, but giants, giants. The Anakites, talk about the big. This is the big, literally, the big. But Caleb had so much faith and confidence in God that not only did he welcome the challenge of beating the giants out of their land, he asked for it. He asked for it. Now, how did Caleb deal with the big in front of him? And what difference does it make to us today in dealing with the big in our lives today? Four keys to winning over the big. Key number one is remember. Remember. Remember God's acts in the past. If we go back to chapter 12 and 13, just before this Chapter of Joshua, we find a list of 31 powerful kings that had occupied the land of Canaan. 31! 31. 31 of them. And Israel, in God's strength, had just subdued, destroyed, and devastated all 31 kings. Caleb had just come through those battles. Caleb had witnessed God's incredible power. He was flush with victory. Why? Because he remembered. He remembered. But there's more. There's more, and it it, it implies this about this. Forty-five years earlier, as we look back into the book of Numbers, we'd have to go into Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, we discovered that Caleb made remembering part of his lifestyle. This wasn't a one-off thing or one instance. Remembering was part of his lifestyle. Lifestyle of faith remembering God's acts. Caleb was one of the 12 original spies that had spied out the land, scattered out the land of Canaan for Moses. Caleb, along with Joshua, presented what was called the minority report. Have you ever felt like you're in the minority? He was in the minority. Minority report. And that said, we can defeat the giants in the land. That was a minority report. We can. It was the positive side. The majority report said, we can't. We can't. Why was Caleb so positive back then? Because he remembered. He remembered. He remembered the power of God displayed in the judgments on the Egyptians. He remembered the crossing of the Red Sea, the drowning of the entire Egyptian army following them into the Red Sea. Now, one writer attempting to minimize the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea by the Israelites said this, I quote, Research indicates that the point at which the Israelites crossed was only six inches deep. Wow, six inches deep. Can you imagine drowning an entire Egyptian army in six inches of water? You can cut it any way you want to. He remembered the miraculous crossing and believe me, it was more than six inches deep, but that's whatever. Kayla remembered, remembering Bill's faith, faith to overcome the big. Alan Redpath writes, and this is on your notes, sometimes in the course of human experience, it is good to sit down and reflect on what has been conquered by the grace of God, to recall where God has triumphed. What has been conquered by the grace of God, to recall where God has triumphed. Remember, to remember. In Numbers 14.24, it says Caleb had a different spirit, a spirit of belief, a spirit of faith. See, all 12 spies had seen the land. All 12 spies had seen the giants, the big. The majority measured their giants against their own strength. Caleb measured the giants against God. The majority had these great big giants and a little God. Caleb had a great big God and little giants. That was the difference. He remembered And when we compare, the giants come up short, the big. It's small compared to God. What's the difference between the viewpoints? They both saw the giants, they both saw the big, but Caleb had faith, believed his God was bigger. Why? He remembered. He remembered. Caleb says, give me this hill country, give me this mountain, give me this mountainous region where he had seen the giants, the strongholds of the Anakites. Caleb wanted to go back and get those guys to prove who God was. Do we, do we remember, do we remember? Is the God who healed your heart after a painful divorce able to sustain you and able to provide for you or able to provide companionship for you again? Is the God who brought you through severe depression 10 years ago any less able to get you out of the pit today? Is the God who provided for you financially in your past crisis still able to provide today? Is the God who found you your last job able to find you this new job? Is the God who brought you through your last health crisis able to bring you healing today? Maybe it's a parenting crisis. A relationship challenge. Remember, and no matter what the big is in your life today, remember. Remember. Remember how you grew in the past dealing with the big. Say with Caleb, bring it on. Bring it on. Give me this mountain, he said. I want to go back where the giant's heart to once again prove how big God is. Remember. Now, we can't live in the past, but the past informs the present. We look at our country. We're in bad shape. We've been in worse shape. Believe it or not, I wasn't alive back then. You read the accounts of what it was like in past days, the, the, the immorality, the evil, the conflict, the division. You know, in the past, God turned this country around and brought spiritual awakening and revival. Remember that. Don't ever forget. He can do it again. Remember and believe again. The second key to winning over the big, second key is is wait. Wait. Wait for God. Wait for God's timing. Wait for God's timetable. Wait for God's direction. Caleb was 40 years old when God, through Moses, had promised him a portion of this land. Now he was 85 years old. That's a long time to wait. And in verse 10 he says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. Wait, this guy had patience. Why, why did he have patience? Because he had faith. In remembering. And I can imagine Caleb as Israel's wandering around the wilderness for 40 years saying, God, these are the best years of my life, my greatest potential, my greatest strength. And here I am wandering in this wilderness with all these faithless people. (laughs) I can imagine the frustration he had to wait. I don't know if you've ever said to God, God, these are the best years of my life. Why am I waiting? Why am I waiting? And one by one, all of Caleb's friends and acquaintances his age died. They were all gone. Only he and Joshua were left. Patience. Wait. How would you like to be one of the two oldest men in an entire nation? That's what he was. And still waiting. Still waiting. Caleb waits 45 years after the promise. His strength is undiminished. I... I'm not good at waiting, those of you that know me. I don't like to wait in grocery lines, I like to wait in ticket lines and traffic lines, bank lines, and we've grown up, a lot of us, with instant everything that's always accessible immediately. I mean, one of, the, one of my favorite things to do is order online at Panera Bread. I can order, and I click order, and by the time I get there, it's ready. I've tried to get there before it's done. I never can do it because I don't like waiting. I like to order. I like to go get it. Waiting. We have instant everything. We're We're not very good at waiting. After remembering how God demonstrated his power in the past, the big, sometimes he has us wait, waiting. In 1983, Judy and I were moving from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to Seattle, Judy was already in Seattle with Brittany, who was almost two years old. And I had a cousin who agreed to help me load the 24-foot rider truck and drive it to Seattle. And since we were young back then, we could drive forever. We drove straight through. We're gonna do, yeah, we're gonna do this. It was December, and it was three in the morning. we just stopped for gas in Ellensburg, Eastern Washington, and it was five below zero. One mile out of that truck stop, I heard a boom. You hear a boom, it's not a good sign, bad sign. And the truck started immediately to pull to the right. I allowed the truck to slow down and pulled off to the shoulder of the interstate and parked on the shoulder. We were just three hours out of Seattle. Three in the morning, five below, what is going on? I was tired, frustrated, I was mad at God. I really was. Where was God when I needed him? I was ticked. So I got out of, the, out of the truck, walked over across the interstate, hitched a ride back to the truck stop. And my cousin assured me he'd keep the motor running and keep Judy's plants alive. That was a big deal. I don't know if you've ever tried to get rider repair on the phone or U-Haul repair anybody at 3 a.m. It's not easy. It's not easy. It took forever. Finally, three hours later, at 6 a.m., I got some action. And they sent a tow truck with a replacement tire to get us back on the road. So finally, by 8 a.m., okay, it's a five-hour delay. Five-hour delay. We hit the road again. Well, we had not gone 10 miles when we began to see what we had missed. Cars and trucks by the dozens. Dozens in the ditch, in the snow, turned over. It was an absolute mess. And what we realized that overnight, an ice storm had come over the mountains, created incredibly treacherous black ice, and it had just completely devastated the freeway, and they had actually closed the pass and the highway. Now it was 8 a.m. The roads were sanded. The pass was open. We were able to drive safely. God, whom I blame for the delay, made me wait, made me wait. Why? Because Judy's piano was on that truck, and I wrecked it. My marriage would have been over. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting. See, God God is sovereign. The thing that I've really realized is that God is never early. I get really frustrated because God is never early. He's also never late. He's always exactly on time. I used to say, God, why are you that way? Because he's perfect. He's perfect, he's always just on time. We're late, early, whatever, he's perfect. He's always on time. And waiting demonstrates dependence on God because I can't do it. Waiting demonstrates faith, looking at God because he has the solution. Waiting demonstrates that trust. Maybe I'm not ready for the solution yet. Maybe God has some more work to do through this big in my life. Maybe God really is in control of his timing. And it's best. Sometimes God makes us wait because we're not ready for the big. Or the big is not ready for us. See, God is in control. God keeps his promises. And sometimes we just have to wait for his promise might be a salvation of a spouse. could be the healing from a disease. Salvation of a child or a parent. The restoration of a marriage. Some of you have been dealing with the big for years, for years. Caleb waited for God. The third key to winning over the big, the third key is obey, obey. Obey God fully. Three times Caleb says in this passage, I have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now this isn't just obeying a set of written rules. This is about the character of God, the concerns of God, the wishes of God. We tend to look at obeying God as part of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments give us a great place to start because it describes the character of God, how we're to relate to God, and how we're to relate to human beings. But if all we do is follow regulations and have no relationship, it will never work. Jesus said all the external acts, following the rules and regulations, it's an empty effort. It's about relationship, it's about our heart, it's about what's inside. It's inside. When we're lined up with God in relationship, we do the right thing as part of our nature. That's when he talks about being born again and born of the Spirit. We become God-like and like Jesus Christ and we begin to do the things that are of him because we're acting out our nature, which is the new nature, Jesus Christ in us by the Holy Spirit. Our heart is changed. Obey wholeheartedly. When that happens, our our obedience is an effort to please a God we love rather than appease a God we fear. Please a God we love rather than appease a God we fear. Following God wholeheartedly means it's from our heart. It's from the inside out. Obey. And when we face the big, it's crucial to know God, to know God's will, to know God's character, know God's concerns, know God's wishes, and Know and hear God's voice. What is he saying to me? What is he saying to me? How is he speaking to me? And then do it wholeheartedly. He'll take care of the rest. We must first be totally possessed by God before we can possess all he has for us. Be totally possessed by God, and then we can possess all he has for us. That's why I like Matthew 6.33. Seek first. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Seek first. And the fourth key to winning over the big is number four, take action. Take action. Just do it. Just do it. You've heard that before. Verse 12 says, the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. So remember, wait, obey in action. Now notice, dependence on God followed by personal action. Dependence on God followed by personal action. This is not a passive faith. This is an active faith. He said, I want you to drive the enemy out. Drive the enemy out. He had to take action. Ephesians 2, 8-10 talks about this process. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's salvation. That's coming into right relationship with God. But then he says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. See, salvation is by grace through faith, but Works are the result of salvation, the action. And James says, faith without works is dead. See, faith produces works. To win over the big, we may be called to take action. And for Caleb, it was drive the enemy out. Failure to drive the enemy out would, will result in less than total victory. There may be actions that we are called to take to drive the enemy out. May need to drive the enemy out of your home by turning off immoral movies or TV shows. Driving the enemy out by putting a filter on your internet connection. Driving the enemy out by cleansing your mind. It's an action we take. Then fill your mind with the Word of God. Drive the enemy out by setting your priorities straight. Drive the enemy out by, by prayer and fasting. By drive the enemy out by stopping gossip at its source. Drive the enemy out by concentrating on the positive. We're, we're just surrounded by negative, 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 negative. Like 99.9% of news is negative. If it's not negative, it doesn't sell. And so we watch that, listen to that, we catch it. You know, it's just everywhere, negative. And sometimes we need to drive the enemy out by concentrating on the positive, not negativism, defeatism, or criticism. Look at the good, not the bad. Look at the good, not the bad. We wonder why our peace is disrupted when we are surrounded by a negative. Philippians 4 8 says, Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report, let your mind dwell on these things. Dwelling on the positive, the good, the reputable, the pure. It's an action we take. And then he says, The next verse he says, Then the peace of God. that passes all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That word guard your heart, that it's like a sentry that stands guard. When you take action like that to dwell on those things in your mind, says he will guard your heart like a sentry to keep anything that's not peaceable in your mind and heart. Take action. So where are you today? Many of you have the big in your life right now. It's a challenge, an obstacle, a mountain, a giant. And I challenge you today to remember, wait, obey, and take action. Just do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us real-life examples of human beings that, that face things like the big, and I just pray, Lord, today that as, as each person here is either coming out of a situation like that, ready to go into a situation like that, or in a situation that's a challenge, and I just pray, Lord, today that you would help each and every one of us to remember, to remember what you've done, and that you would build our faith, God, we need that on which to build our life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would build our life on those principles. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? The clock's two hours to try it for a summer. Now, as the story was told to me, some people loved it because they could play golf till 10 or 11 at night. Other people hated it, and it caused such an incredible uproar in town that everybody was choosing sides if it's for or against this this change they had made. Local business establishments started putting up two different clocks in each place, one for each time zone to try to keep everybody happy. So they finally called a town meeting after a lot of discussion. One farmer thinking he, he, he had the, the answer, he complained he said that his crops couldn't take the extra two hours of sunlight every day. <laughs> now, if I have to explain that to you, you should move to Indiana or Arizona where they don't change their clocks twice a year, but that's, that's another thing. Well, Joshua, in the middle of everybody, said, oh, sun, stand still. Now, that doesn't fly in the face. We know that the earth rotates on the axis, et cetera. Even scientists today speak of the sun rising and setting. But basically, he declared the stoppage of the rotation of the earth. Why? The key to victory was persistence, and he needed more daylight. Joshua was not content to have partial victory. He wanted complete victory. And what a statement he made. We should never stop until we've had complete victory, personal victory in our church, family, or nation. When we are on God's side, we will have opposition. We are to establish communication, we must obey God. And number four, when on God's side, when we are on God's side, God will act on our behalf. This calls for total reliance on God. We still resist that. Our whole journey in life is from self-reliance to reliance on God. Independence to dependence, and if you resist that as much as I do, there's this battle constantly going back and forth. In verse 10, it says God confounded the enemy and confused them and pursued them. Verse 11, God threw hailstones on them. Now, I'm not proposing you call lightning or hailstones from heaven to strike your difficult boss, but but it's just one of the things that God did here. God will act on your behalf. In verse 13, it says, God extended the daylight hours. Now, when God acted on Israel's behalf, Israel saw it was God's work. But just as important, the Canaanites saw it was God's work. When we are on God's side and God acts on our behalf, we know it and our enemy knows it. See, they're not fighting us. They're fighting God. God acts on our behalf. God acts. Verse 14 says, The Lord listened to the voice of man. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That that actually is the definition of prayer. Prayer. God listening to the voice of man or woman. God listening to the prayer of a boy or girl. God listening to our voice. We pray. He listens. God listens to our voice, voice of people, our prayers. And He answers them. Thursday, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Thursday night, 6 30 here. It's the National Day of Prayer. And we're going to practice that. Just want to make sure that you know you're invited. We're going to take an hour and a half here to pray for our nation. Because when we pray, God listens. I know there are a lot of concerns we have about our nation. So many things to pray about. Our community, our churches, our leadership, our, our political leaders, our president, his cabinet, Congress, all of those things. We need to pray. You may be in the middle of an incredible battle, whatever that might be, but God cares, he hears, and he will act on your behalf. When we get to the end of the chapter, we read what God did. Verse 42 says, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Don't try to fight these battles on your own. Let God fight them. And then in verse 43, it says, they returned to Gilgal, where they started. Whose side are you on? When we are on God's side, we're going to face opposition. We are to establish that communication, obey God, and God will act on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God. And we are not. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to challenge us in our lives. I just pray that that we would realize that, that you've called us to line up with you. And I pray, God, that you'll give us that time and communication and understanding of how we can be on God's side. And that when we are, you act in miraculous ways on our behalf. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?